faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome back to a whole new year, a whole new era a whole lot of new. Welcome back to The Fear of God, the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is The Fear of God, found on the interwebs at thefearofgodpodcast.com. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts. If you're new to the show, my name is Nathan Rouse. Typically with me, new friend, is fellow co-host, Long time, long time chum, Reed Lackey. And well, he was here, but he said he needed to go check on his sea monkeys. So, you know, hopefully, I, I, I didn't even know. Maybe that was a Christmas gift to him. Um, in the meantime, allow me to welcome you into a new season of the fear of God, kicking off the same way we do every year by looking back at some of the previous year's top horror. As horrifying as the year 2020 was, there was some fertile film ground left to cover from it, and we are going to travel to one of them today. But I'm getting ahead of myself because here at The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find episode archives and merchandise, including Fear of God-branded sea monkeys, cell phone cases, T-shirts, face masks. Those are still a thing. Didn't go away with the new year. Magnets, pillows, read. I'm so glad you are still a thing, my friend. Hello, brother. Hi. Hey, you okay? Them them sea monkeys. They dead again. They dead again. (laughs) They're so dead. They dead. (laughs) Like Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. They dead. Sea monkeys, they dead again. They they dead again. Read. (laughs) Read. Read. Hey, man. Oh, my gosh. We're back. Speaking of. We're back into it. Speaking of brothers. 
Yeah. We had my brother on for a B-side last week. Who it feels knew, like that, man? It feels like that run in the sitcom you love when they need to, <laughs> when they need to freshen up the cast a little bit. And it's like, oh, they introduced the lead sibling. Like, that wasn't Bring a thing. Bring on a Where brother. Where did that come from? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just going to randomly walk in the background every now and then. So, you know, that was fun. <laughs> we got to cover... That was great. Uh, a favorite great. show of both of ours. Oh my um, gosh, that was yeah. And I was and and obviously it was a really daunting task to try in one you know relatively two hour conversation to discuss you know five films and three seasons of television. But uh, but listeners, if you when have you been phrase it that way, it sounds like a really dumb thing to try. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, here we are. Here um, we are. So, but no, listeners, if you, uh, like a good chunk of the world have been, uh, enjoying and watching Cobra Kai, then we invite you to our B side, uh, where we discuss that, uh, at length again, as Nathan mentioned, featuring his brother Josh for a really fun and wonderful conversation that I loved a lot. So thanks again to Josh for being on. Yeah. That was great. That was fun. We will have him back on, uh, in the future for something. Um, speaking of something, something. So. We are, uh, I do, we're not gonna have a formal business time right now. Um, I do want to, if you will, in a minute, uh, hash out the films we're going to be discussing here, but, um, in the coming weeks, but I did want to make a renewed pitch. Um, you should have seen in your feed a little mini episode, much like we did for 2020, 2020 and 2020. Uh, we did a little preamble episode, little preface, a little precap if you will, um, of what that overarching umbrella series was about. Uh, so same here, go back, listen to the precap episode for this brand new, at least partly umbrella series, though there may be another spoke on that wheel, another Mm. lag on that person. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I just ignore the bad metaphors right now. Yeah. I'm getting back in the swing of things, right? Get on my back here. Okay. (laughs) Go check on your sea monkeys. So, um, for our brand new series that I'm super excited for, read what scares us. What an appropriate and timely thing to have a conversation about. We're going to be, uh, for at least half of the year talking about what scares us. We, but we need your input. Uh, so as mentioned in the precap, uh, where we break it down a little bit further, what this ep- what this series is actually about. Go to the website, thefearofgodpodcast.com. Click on the banner at the top. Submit your entry so that you can be considered and counted, and we can share that uh, perhaps on an episode as you help cultivate what we cover this year. So that is what scares us. It's going to be starting around the bend, uh, but that is not what we're doing right now. Reed, we are, in fact. Um, let's You know what? Let's get to that after we do. Our old favorite, okay? Because oh. it'll be a, it'll be a good lead in for the actual film to discuss the films we're going to be discussing after the film. That's a discussing. good. That's a great idea. So, great idea. Uh, 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 without further ado, moving right along. What you watching? What you watching? What you reading? What you reading? What you listening to? You know what's so lovely about that is like I wish there was more. I would love. I know it's perfect. It's kind of like what are the what are there's been over the years TV show theme songs that had just you know it's like you'd watch the show and it had the right. version that appeared on the episode, but then you I don't remember I, I I know this was a thing, but I can't recall an example off the top of my head well, where the there's a example, longer version of it, like yeah. an actual song. Biggest example is there was a full 
uh, version of the Cheers theme song where everybody I, knows I knew your name. That was go. a yeah. that was yeah. a hit single. That version was a hit single, but the hmm. the version that opened every episode was just like thirty dun, seconds long. Dun, but there was a full dun, like, dun, dun. yeah, that's right. But there was like a three Making minute version through the world today. Takes, takes everything, everything you got. You got. <laughs> Taking a break from all your worries sure, sure would help, would help a lot. A lot. Sometimes you wanna go listen to the fear of God. Oh, that's wow. better. What a way that's to better. start the year. People are already like, and I'm turning this off. And <laughs> now I'm remembering Bye. why I didn't want to do this. Read real quick. Let's do some watches. You know? Okay, yes. We did absolutely. some pretty heavy watches last week. I don't know if yours is heavy this week. Mine's not. It's not. No, no. Okay, no, no, cool. No. Mine mine definitely pivots uh, uh much lighter this time around. So let me go first. Um, let me go first. Go let me ahead. go first. Yeah, because, yeah, by all means. because Reed, this is this is a major moment in fear of God is happening right now. Right now? Oh my god, I'm so excited. So Reed, you may recall nigh on three years ago. Oh my gosh. Which feels like an eternity. A, a, a segment of, of audio that lives in fear of God history where we count down a reveal of a metric, a numerical metric at the same time signaling our appreciation or not of a particular piece of media. That's right. And yes. And, and I don't know if you prepped in that moment for how divergent our answers would be. I was not. And so I was not. No. Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Um, <laughs> If you listener, if you go back and listen to our Stranger Things two breakdown, and and from the top, one it's a, it's pretty long, but uh, so apologies in advance, and it's it gets a little painful by, by the end of it. Um, we're gonna be wanting to step into the pod. Yeah, and be yeah, like, yeah guys, you need want stop, to mediate. Stop. It's like it's like Johnny and Daniel. You're like guys, guys, guys. You love each other, and um, it's time to move past. You're more alike than different. Um, oh, that's funny. So. Uh, 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 we had just watched Stranger Things 2. We had intentionally opted not to share our perspective on it until literally in the recording. And as a means of just sort of on-ramping, it was like, hey, share a 1 to 10 rating of your of what you thought of it. And at the same time, I said a 4, you said an 8. And it was like, oh, crap. You this know, it's a- like, oh, boy. <laughs> what no. have we done? Yeah. <laughs> Abandon ship! Abandon ship! We have a um, So... That led to an infamous conversation, not only in and of itself, but that transformed and determined how we covered TV shows in the future. It did. It was a very do that again. (laughs) No, we did not. We did not. It was a very uh, uh, formative conversation for us. So, interestingly, uh, about during during the holidays, um, I ventured, I guess that my kids might be old enough for Stranger Things. Hmm. And I remember showing a trailer to the two oldest of season one, kind of trying to entice them. I was like, I think hmm. I think they might could handle this. And the middle one seeing the trailer and pulling a, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, but the 12-year-old being interested. Hmm. And so she and I watched season one and she cowered through a decent amount but she stuck it out and and you know kind of enjoyed it then she got mad because then the 10 year old was like well maybe i am interested and instead of moving into season two right away the 12 year old was forced to rewatch season one with the 10 year old now so that she could catch up but saved me a little bit of time and parental hassle if i'm honest uh (laughs) so they finished season one 
Then I watch season two with them now. So where this is heading is not just to settle on season two, but the moment, the historic moment that's happening right now is let it never be said, Reed, that like Johnny, I can't learn some new tricks and reflect on my, I'm not going to say the error of my ways. That is strong, (laughs) but rewatching season two of stranger things, I do still have some problems with it that aren't easily ironed out right but knowing going in what i thought might still be those problems would be i gained much more enjoyment out of season two and and truly in a way that i was ready to be like oh god i don't want to watch this with my kid stupid (laughs) season um i you know even the problems i would have identified back in our conversation three years ago i still think exist but the actual watching of it, I found enjoyable and entertaining. That's so, awesome. so that's my mea culpa to you, my friend, here oh. in this brand new year. It's about just unburdening ourselves. Sure, sure. Yeah. Toxicity that plagues us, as we did referenced last week or on the B side. Um, and then we dove into Stranger Things 3. And Reed, I'm in, in the same vein that I'm mea culpa-ing here. Uh-huh. I'm soliciting you. I am asking us to cover <gasps> Stranger Things season three it's sometime right this next, I don't know, six months. Because okay. awesome. I had a positive experience watching that season the first time through and then being able to actually piecemeal it a little bit and not like blazing straight through. Sure. And right, with my right. family, dude, what a thrilling ride to be able to get to a moment in my media consumption where my wife, who, cause she had not seen season three and she was interested. She joined the party, my 12 year old, my 10 year old. It was the, if you haven't seen stranger, stranger things three, I personally think it might be the strongest season, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the highs that it reaches for. Um, and man, there are some killer moments in that season. We had a great time. Uh, we were all weeping at the very end of it, some quite more profusely than others. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was a hell of a hell awesome. of a lot of fun. Um, I would love for you and I to having learned from the error of how we covered two <laughs> to, cover to just have a grand old time covering three sometime soon. Oh so my that well, is I've, what yeah, I've been watching, that. reading, listening to was all of Stranger Things and really plugging back into that world well that's pretty amazing and so you're, you're going to get an automatic yes from me so listeners are you know we'll we'll tease out in the coming you know weeks and months exactly what that looks like and when it happens but absolutely we're going to cover stranger things season three i'm i'm completely on board uh maybe uh alongside another run of 80s films which would be really really mm-hmm. a lot of fun so so yeah we'll we'll hash that out as time gets a little bit closer to it um but speaking of 80s speaking of stranger things speaking of uh fun sort of that era type stuff so i had mentioned on our cobra kai b-side uh, but I'd also mentioned sort of, uh, you know, in passing toward the end of last year, how 2020 really, you know, catapulted uh, or, or not catapulted, torpedoed a lot of my reading habits. And I want to, you know, spend 2021 getting back into the kind of voracious consumptive reader that I was before where I was able to just move through a lot of material. Um, so I've been reading a lot and that's great. Uh, balancing out weighty books like you know the susan david's emotional agility and also uh the soul of america with uh adam caesar's book clown in a cornfield 
which clown I just in a cornfield. <laughs> clown in a cornfield. That sounds like God. I don't know, just like a banjo, just like a just a. <laughs> so, so here's what's great about this. It was picked. <laughs> Hi, boys and girls. Oh, Sorry. Wow. Sorry. Wow. No, no. You just um, got all this imagery going now. It was pitched in like the book jacket and early reviews and everything of that. I was like, of like, if you want a book that feels like an 80s slasher, Clown in a Cornfield is it. And I was like, I've heard that pitch before. Um, you know, people, because th- 80s slasher <laughs> yeah. is like, you Clowns, know, that's a fun cornfields. thing. Then, no, 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 not that. Oh, okay. But just, just like the idea of like, ooh, yeah, throwback to the 80s. Isn't this fun or whatever? But I have to honestly say, this is the only book that I can remember that I actively felt in the reading of it. I was like, this is structured like, feels like, and very much elicits the same kind of joyful responses as a classic 80s slasher. Um, and in, in, in the reading of a book, it is pitched as like a YA novel. And the premise of it is after a personal family tragedy, a father and his daughter move to a very small town. He's a doctor and he's taken up his uh, new practice in this very small town, small rural town. Um, and the girl in the, which is our sort of main central, uh, figure of, of how we experience the story. She's getting to know the townspeople, kind of getting, trying to fit in and everything like that. Well, at a party one night, uh, suddenly a clown begins actively trying to murder all of this swarm of teenagers. Um, and so, why and what's really going on plays out in the way that you would imagine, you know, cheesy, fun 80s slashers do. Uh, but honest to God, like there was one moment, I kid you not, where I had just finished a chapter where one particular character, the clown, like approaches them in their home. And I kid you not, it's been a long time since I've had this experience. It was super fun. When I finished reading the chapter and put it down and I had to kind of close down for the night and part of that included like finishing up washing the dishes and taking the trash out. When I took the trash out, I had freaked myself out <laughs> because of reading that chapter beforehand. But it was fun, like in a fun way. It was really, it was really cool. Um, so I highly recommend for fans of 80s slashers, if you want something that, uh, I will say, uh, it, it has a very political sort of subtext to it uh that is really not quite subtext it's very on the nose um it but, just i don't i've never heard of this until you recommended oh. it or referenced it recently and uh it feels like an improv game set up it's like okay okay i need <laughs> all right what are my what's the scenario okay i need a place a cornfield you know <laughs> okay you know didn't see that oh, one coming no. but i need okay so now i need a person a who who's who's in this a clown oh god yeah <laughs> demented soul okay now what about a genre slasher um okay <laughs> that's i mean maybe maybe right this is my first book reading this is my first book uh, by adam caesar that i'm reading apparently he's a, a a making a name for himself in the horror genre um but i i had just an incredible amount of fun with it so if you're a reader who wants something a bit on the lighter side, and I kid you not, wants something that absolutely invokes the sentiment of the 80s slashers. Can't recommend enough. Clown in a Cornfield 
uh, by Adam Caesar. It is really, really great. Clown I loved in the Clown in oh, the cornfield. Speaking of song, there's a clown in the cornfield. What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Yeah, see? The islands get it. The, <laughs> the islands get it. It's awesome. Riri! So. Yeah. It's time. It's time to go to 2020, 2020, 2.0. Wow. You see how I did that? <laughs> I do see how you did that. It was 2020, 20. 2020, 2.0. 2020, 2020, 20, or 2.0. That's so, good. That was good. So today, as anyone who sees this song, this song, this episode in their feed, um, we're covering the lodge. So we are covering some films off of the top 10 or actually top 20 that we discussed mm-hmm. on the new year's Eve episode, new year's Eve party episode, which was a lot of fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Staff foggers. Uh, oh, so Reed, why don't great. you break down what we're planning to cover in the next few weeks so people can go ahead and make some notes and we can look like we're on top of things and be like, Hey, <laughs> Get ahead of it, guys. (laughs) No, that's absolutely. So, uh, obviously, we're covering The Lodge today. If you haven't watched that, then by all means, we're going to just... Spoilers will abound, so you're going to want to acquaint yourself with that. But then next week, I'll I'll go ahead and mention, I'll mention it at the end of the episode as well, we're going to be going to the Amazon Prime original The Vast of Night, which received a a, a decent amount of love on our New Year's Eve party. Um, And then we're going to be going to a film that, as of this recording, neither Nathan or I have seen. Uh, which is part of why we're choosing to cover it is because one of the few things that made the list that neither of us have seen. So we're kind of embracing the unknown and uh, and diving into it and see what this film has to offer. And that is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. So we're going to be wa- uh, watching and covering that. Again, as of this recording, we haven't seen it. And then we're going to round out this little series with another uh, much-talked-about favorite that was in the top 20, and that is the film Relic. So uh, obviously can't cover How many was that? Every- Four or five? Oh, four. And th- there's a fifth one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's a fifth one. I can't yeah. believe I almost forgot this. Yeah, yeah. So, like, whoa. Um, so, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are so really the- not on top of things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I mentioned Vast of Night and The Wolf of Snow Hollow and Relic. And then we are also going to be covering the Netflix uh, original release, His House. So those are the five films that you want to acquaint yourself that's that with. That's audio obviously. adrenaline song, right? No, that's it's Big his House. house. That no. Lots and lots of horror. Well, people are gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! No, that feels appropriate for the movie we're talking about today. Uh, That Um, does kind of, but no, those are the those twenty 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 two point oh. Yes. Next week is Vast of Night, so put it on the calendar. Watch it. You heard it here first, everybody. Um, should we? Should we check in? Yeah, let's let's do that. So. Getting right ahead of this, this was a, a film by the same creative team, the directors who had directed Good Night, Mommy, which we also covered Good on the night. show. Good night, Mommy. Um, <laughs> so normally, and I know you don't like this question, so I'm going to try to recontextualize I, it in a I, way that maybe is... Bring it. Um, what did you know about this movie going into it? And then, you know, sort of talk about your experience of... Clearly uh, not watching. enough. <laughs> um... <laughs> You know, months ago, uh, maybe when the top 20 started to materialize, our top 20, our listeners' oh, top right, 20. right, 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 right. I kind of did a sort of survey just of trailers and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. 
that may have been the time I was going to watch Gretel and Hansel. And so, yeah, I was probably just looking for uh, Halloween, Halloween, somewhere in there. Oh, sure. I was looking yeah, for right, something right. to watch and sort of use that as my litmus test, that list. Um, so I did watch the trailer. So all I knew was potential antagonist, ma- uh, mother figure and yeah. snowy, snowy locale. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not perceive what the actual narrative was, nor the, the right. thematic aspects of the narrative, uh, sure, much less the framing device of, of Alicia Silverstone, who's, you know, her babysitter's club turn made me have the kids watch this too. I was like, girls, you're going to love that. You'd like the mom the of the lodge. babysitter's club. She's in this and five minutes in. I was like, Oh my God, go run to your room. Yeah. Run yeah, yeah. Go, go, go get out. <laughs> it's like, I was wrong. <laughs> Stranger oh. things was just, you know, it was kid, kid gloves. Um, oh my gosh. So now I did not know really much to anything. Yeah. Uh, as I came to find out. Sure. I went into it pretty blind myself. So this is is prepping for this episode. This was my second time seeing it. But the first time going into it, the appeal was obviously that I respond. I responded very strongly to Goodnight Mommy in a great Mm way. Uh, It's a it's a hard film to watch, but I thought it was a masterful film. And so I I really was curious to see what their follow up was going to be. It was getting a lot of buzz. It had landed at number two on our list. And so I was like, oh, man, this is a great excuse for me to go ahead and check out the lodge. Uh, other than that, very, I went it's in a very Oedipal thread weaving through these folks films. That know. is true. Oh, absolutely. And I think I don't know if they've done anything else substantive beyond these two films, but definitely Goodnight Mommy and the Lodge have those same strong connecting themes. Um, I So I feel like which this would normally go in scares this next part and then we'll get into some trivial bits and stuff like that. But I feel like we can't even enter into a conversation about the lodge without talking about what happens at like minute six in the movie. Um, because when I was watching it, I was sitting down, I was relaxing the thought progression <laughs> in my so head. Long. No, the thought progression in my head is, Oh, okay. All right. Uh, oh, I didn't know Alicia Silverstone's in this. Oh, that's right. I like Alicia Silverstone, man. I didn't know she's, I didn't know she's in this movie. And so then, she uh, she, she gets some bad news, uh, in the, the fact that her husband from whom she's separated, uh, he wants to finalize their divorce because he wants to marry the new person that he is with. And you see as the audience that it kind of, oh, uh, you know, th- this news hits her hard. And so then literally the very next scene, She's sort of preparing a couple of things. She sits down at a table. She's messing around with a couple of stuff. She's got a glass of wine or whatever. And then my woman just like in about three seconds. It's sudden. Goes. It is so sudden because you don't even see the thing before she does it. In about three seconds, she grabs her purse, sets it down on the floor, and then literally in about three seconds, she pulls a gun out of the purse and blows her own head off. And like not head off, but like right, right, right. Fi- fires herself. it into her. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And it is so sudden and so shocking, and I was completely disarmed. I was utterly like, I had to pause it. I had to pause the movie and recalibrate to, oh, my God. Yes, I realized I was watching a horror movie. I remember, and I just watched it last night, and it happened so quickly, and it's so deftly choreographed on screen that it, Mm -hmm. it... it's legitimately jarring. Like, wait, how did that happen just that quickly? And I'm, yes. my, my head is spinning with how yes. not I saw that coming, how I little, no, how little absolutely. I saw that coming. 
Yeah, it was so completely out of nowhere. And um, and so, like I said, like that moment is super jarring and probably would have, in a, a typical format, would have waited for for scares. But I don't even feel like we can enter into the conversation about this film without like getting that out of the way. Because that moment really just sets you back on your heels. That moment was bad enough, but then like it's followed up after the funeral service with the daughter like oh my God. weeping. That's- the daughter is weeping to her dad and what she is saying is devastating because this is clearly a family that has been framed at least in certain contexts as a religious, maybe yeah, Catholic, sure. you know, yeah. but kind of family. And and literally, she's just sitting there saying she can't go to heaven. She's t- this this she's young girl, go to heaven. yeah, yeah, is weeping about her mom's suicide and saying she can't go to heaven. She's not going to go to heaven. Honestly, um, it reminded me of Florence Pugh in um, Midsommar at the top oh, of the movie, like right, just the degree the guttural, and yeah. And honestly, it had an awkward moment or awkward sense to me of just like goodness gracious they were able to get this performance out of this kid like i don't know i know okay. you know i mean it oh, was no i know i know it was because it wasn't just your normal like sad kid being sad weepy it was like no. wailing she like, is legitimately yeah. weeping for her mother's damnation like that was very yeah. intense yeah it was um, really and so that well within i'm sorry no i was just so so to move on to the conversation i was just gonna say within eight minutes of the film they have already put forward like, yeah, this is what you're going to be dealing with. <laughs> like, these are the kinds of things that you're going to, you know, kind of have to be wrestling down. Anyway, I was just going to say that to close it off. But what were you about to say? Well, I, I don't want to lean that direction because you were um, uh, suggesting going to some trivial bits. Do you have stuff you want to? So unpack? what's interesting is no. What's interesting is uh, the, the the I don't have any specific this is actually the note that i wrote down i said no strong trivial bits of note just some things that the second time through i noticed that i didn't notice the first time around so maybe that would ostensibly be more of like a likes dislikes section or something like that yeah get your bucket straight Listen, Um, we've been on a break okay i know know. who are you (laughs) um are you am i you are you me (laughs) um (laughs) throwback um that was good the uh, Grace's father in the film is the actress's father in real life. Just FYI. Oh, I had heard that. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because I just told you. Um, well, prior to you, to- r- uh, there. <laughs> random, uh, little Stephen King note here. The dog. <laughs> we named the dog Indiana. Um, the dog's <laughs> name is Grady, which is the name of the former winter caretaker at the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. Mm, that's right. Um, that's so, how do you want to purchase? So, there's a world where I've got my list. Yeah. But this is also the kind of film where we could just talk. Um, and I, I feel like. Uh, which doesn't mean I've got deep profundity to offer. It just means it's there's a lot here. And um, what what is what do you think of this movie? So um, yes, so the, the, you've seen act- it twice now. What what's your yeah. feelings? Um, well, I I love it in that painful way that sometimes you can love very difficult things that hurt um, and, and, and they, they hurt because they are identifying a truth. We would really rather not 
uh, sort of deal with. That's that's the way I contextualize the film. Um, it is heavy. It is gruesome. It is brutal. We should. I want us to have the kind of conversation where we just sort of free will. So, so I'm happy to summarize as uh, as as much or as little of the of the particulars of the plot as we need to for listeners who may not have seen the film to contextualize it for themselves. But what I think about the film is first time I watched it, I thought it was really affecting, and I thought it was very skillfully crafted, and I felt like once the conceit was fully revealed. I felt this really maybe because of uh, contemporary events at the time that I watched it, Um, maybe just because of something that resonates in my spirit about other subjects, but I felt very much a, the word that comes to mind is I felt very much a validation, and that's going to sound really, really weird to some people, but there's... Gosh, I feel like I need to. Uh, so here's what I and maybe you can affirm me and say yes, Reed. Let's do this. Or you mean validate you. you yeah, no, no, that's a, um, because I feel like I want to start talking about things that if, if somebody hasn't watched or hasn't seen in a long time, that I want to kind of recontextualize. Like, hey, in three to five sentences, here's everything that happens in this movie. And so I, I kind of with your uh, affirmation, I'd kind of like just like to do that. Like, let's sure. just rip off the Band-Aid. These are the three to five things that happen in this film. Um, do you want to do that or do you want me sure. to? Sure. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Um, uh, uh, loosely, it's the, as outlined, Alicia Silverstone is the mother to Jaden Martell and I don't have the young act- actress's name in front of me, uh, mm. but siblings who's, who they are divorced the father now has these children because uh he's also in a relationship with this woman which is related to why alicia silverstone does what she does but um the woman he's in a relationship with uh, somehow is a subject of his which we can get into in terms of professionally but um he has a relationship with her she is a former cult member who, uh, as the kids stumble on, uh, under underwent experienced some extreme trauma, uh, religiously and in, uh, in infused trauma, and so they are very dubious and suspicious and resentful and even pretty hateful towards her. Uh, right. But the dad wants them together for Christmas, so they go to this lodge of the title. Um, the dad has to depart, uh, so they are all there ostensibly kind of as a you know kind of hangout holiday hangout but it just gets right. sour and continues to wither and fester on the vine until they're all stranded and just bedlam ensues but a lot of the conflict is born where because of medication that goes missing that she's taking you can't quite tell what's real or not for a certain portion of the film and and right, right ultimately spoiler alert this is where we go anywhere ultimately what you learn is much of the events of the film at the lodge have been perpetrated by the kids who are acting out right. a pretty serious uh, right. uh prank if you will that they they are unprepared for the ramifications of because of course it goes right. uh lethally sideways for them by the end of it yeah. and for all of them yeah in a real way so so yeah yeah and so those are the so so fundamentally the only things i would fill in from your very adept summary there is so they see very early on in the film the kids see that she was an escaped cult member a former cult member so they witness that 
uh, find that out about her. Um, they very much, they explicitly state, especially the older boy, um, they blame her for what happened to their mother. And as they are, there's a lot of tension in the lodge once the dad's le- once the dad leaves and they're just there with this woman named Grace and her dog and it's just the pair of them and there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of awkwardness, there's some things that happen, but then they wake up one morning and when they wake up, the house has been stripped bare of decoration and the food's all gone from the fridge and it momentarily begins to seem as if maybe they have died that's the that is the uh sort of the the notion on the table is like oh my god maybe we all died in the middle of the night and this is purgatory this is this is something you know and so then when you find out that the kids have perpetrated this prank and that they've done so as a kind of a direct outgrowth from this woman's former cult status not realizing that they would push her well past the point of no return and that they would regress her, you know, her, her coping mechanisms and her deprogramming from coming out of that cult and that they would co- send it all rushing back to, as you mentioned, deadly consequences. By the point they realize that, it is way too late. It is yeah, far yeah, too yeah. late. Yeah. She's, she is now too far gone and these these kids now realize that they have done something that they not only cannot take back but they cannot walk back they cannot turn down the dial right. on this this Let's, escalation i i'm <laughs> i don't it would be very easy to just go direct to theme because the the, the film plays heavily with that throughout right so right. let me let me let me propose the possibility i've got a question or two i want to ask you yes yeah uh, and then also maybe if you want just for funsies we do some scares but not necessarily go through likes dislikes so so the questions i want to ask you is is rooted in my experience of the film so my respect for goodnight mommy predisposed me to 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 at least approach in a similar spirit, this, and there is not a thing I would fault this film on for craft Mm. or visual craft. Right. I did struggle. And, and part of it, there's probably just no resolvable version of this because you might make a case and I'd be like, no, I, okay, well, whatever, but not to dismiss you, but, or the attempt you would make, but the things I struggled with, that that kept me from really plugging in yeah because again visually i'm on board like the creep factor is high the the sure. atmosphere is high the visual dynamism in terms of just cinematography is high the on location stuff works all of almost everything works i really struggled man with like the stories almost from go i'm like the two okay i'll I'll be real clear the two main struggles i came away from my first viewing with Mm. and then we can get into scares and then we can go to theme or however we want to do one alicia silverstone's action is extreme right definitively full stop it feels like i'm trying to be clear and i keep 
than being obtuse. Uh, I really question the story choice of, of the fact that he's even in relationship with grace. And so there's a, there's an ethics element to that because here the, the, the premise is fantastic. The premise Mm -hmm. is fantastic. Formerly highly traumatized person now trying to make good in the world comes into conflict with resentful children of her place in their life. That works. Yes. But I really struggled with the means by which she's even in this story, which is somehow, is he a journalist? I don't remember exactly what his vocation is. It's a great question. Or a writer of some type, because they refer to him as, you know, or her as some sort of subject person he encountered through research and whatnot. So, so that part I really kind of struggled with and kind of was like, ah, that feels a little... Was there a better way to get her into this story than just this massive ethics problem and professionalism yeah, problem right. of this this guy whom by the end you want to be on board with? You want to be on his side by the end of this film. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so so that one I really struggled with. And and this that one's stronger to me than this one. The other one was just help me if this happened to you or or if it didn't, you know, talk me into it. Like by the time it it fully is, it's the kids. It yeah. almost it almost shoved me out. Interesting. Okay. To because one, I had already forecasted that as a possible slash probability. Like mm, mm-hmm. there's a decent chance that's what's going on here. Right. Mm-hmm. But then I really wrestled with the just logistics of it. I'm like, this is this is a lot to buy in. So those are my two big problems. The buy in, the buy in that this scenario is even taking place under the circumstances by which it is. And the buy in that they are perpetrating something so orchestrated to this degree. So those things I really struggled with. And so when it fully locks in, it's the kids. I struggled to plug in to the end. Because of how oh. out I was on them. I'm like, and I know that's part of the, that's part of the work the film is doing. Right. Is sure. yes. your attitude towards these kids and the roller coaster theoretically that you might be on by how you feel towards them. But right. something happened where I was no longer. <laughs> it's weird. The feelings I'm having right now, the emotions that are experiencing right now. Sure. Sure. They're, Grace, the character, is is the is. We talked last week about Cobra Kai and Johnny Lawrence. This down on his luck, life didn't do what he sort of thought it might do, and and how do you rally from that sort of existence? And then there's a person like Grace who is like, she's not broken by life. She got grist milled. She got yes meat ground mm-hmm. by not just life, but life that was meant to be instructive of something more than life. Right. Right. And so by the end, I think there was this weird thing that happened to me because of what reveals itself to be the plot. It like, it like shoved me out emotionally from being able to even engage those last 15 minutes because I was so, I was so offended by the cruelty of the kids of the characters does um, that make any sense like it was oh. this weird thing that i can't point to other instances readily to be like it was sort of like this experience i had like to be 
and and this is where just the conversation needs to happen and who, who the hell knows maybe we don't do scares although they're it's a scary movie and so it, it merits maybe a little touching mm-hmm. that that rail but good night mommy to my recollection flirts with very similar things it uh similar yep mm-hmm. uh, uh you know questionable questionable mother figure preyed upon by troubled what you learn as a single child, yeah. but you know, yeah. ultimately, but it's, but the, I don't know. There's something about the turn of Goodnight mommy that didn't bother me the way this one did to the point that I can't, I can't decide if I think the lodge is a cruel film that I don't want to engage in. Does that make I, sense? Like I, that's oh, the no, wrestling that started to happen with me because yeah. this is a, this is the, it, it's like, it's like propping up, the empathetic character whose mental health is such that she can no longer discern fact from fiction to the point of violence against herself and others and, and preying upon her to the point of destruction of all. And, and again, I know that's the theme. That's it. That's the point. Yeah, of course. But it did this weird thing to me in a way that a lot of the movies we don't, that we watch don't do, which is because of the cruelty exercised against her. Yes. I really wrestled with even kind of appreciating what it's after by the end. Cause like, mm. I can't tell if the, I can't tell if the movie is being cruel to her. Thus the, the, the story itself's cruelty upon her. Or if I'm, if in other words, am I mad at the movie or am I mad at the characters? And I can't I understand. quite sure. untangle those two things. Again, I've seen it once and it was last yeah. night. But it created this weird emotional thing where that last 10 minutes, I was like, this feels mildly pornographic now with mm-hmm. the the exploitation that's being exercised over this character. Oh, she shot dad. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you wrecked her. Yeah. You know, like, and I can't, yeah. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be feeling right now. So anyway, so that, it was just a really yeah. interesting experience from that standpoint. Yeah, I so the the is that weird? Am I no am I not making weird, any sense? Not weird at all. So I'm going to do a couple of things. So the experience that I'm having in this moment is, um, I understand and even to a large degree relate to what you're saying. I think that the cruelty Grace experiences, I did not have the um ousting that you did probably because it resonated to me as true now i'm not saying that that justifies it and i'm not saying that people have to embrace and engage a story like that but where i would from my perspective probably land in a different place against like the the feeling of exploitation is while I I don't disagree that the film is cruel to her uh, and ultimately cruel to all of its characters, it did not feel for me what I would define as exploitative, which rings false. And so if something rings unnecessarily cruel and is based in something I don't think is plausible, logical, reasonable as an actual sort of cautionary occurrence that could happen, I think I would I think I would have had a much similar response to you and maybe we wouldn't even be talking about the film. 
but I think there was a, and by no means do not hear that. I actually think it's very worthy of conversation and, and Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to talk through for the first time with a person who's seen this. And especially when that person is you, like I had a weird sort of emotional response to it. Um, because I'll, I'll, I'll say this Yeah. to the degree that like, I'll go way back to episode like 13 and unfriended and in a much lighter context of that, the ways in which prankishness, cruel natured prankishness can get away from you. And now suddenly somebody has done something that is just a bridge too far. And what kind of responsibility do you bear for that? That I think is flavored into many more conversations than the Lodge throughout our time. I think the Lodge, good or ill, does not sugarcoat, not that these other films do either, but there's nothing fun about, well, I shouldn't say there's nothing fun. Many people enjoy the experience of just unraveling a scary mystery, which I do think this this film applies. But there's not a sheen of cutesiness. There's not a sheen of pop sensibilities on the cruelty these kids are transacting to grace and therefore the cruelty that devastates their own lives as a result. Um, But I think, again, I think the reason why I'm drawn to it and compelled by it is because I, I, I think it's real. I think it's a very real human condition in which you can, you can say, wouldn't this be, funny or we'll get them or you just you are toying with dynamite completely oblivious to the fact that dynamite explodes and that when it explodes you might not be far enough away to to come away unscathed and and i think there's a lot of of times when people particularly young people um or i will say because this pivots to a little of where my head's at uh Perspectives that are not mature, and I said that very deliberately, perspectives that are not mature (laughs) might think there can be no consequence to the perpetuation of a, a foil, a conceit, a deceit, whether it be the mindset that says, oh, isn't this going to be funny? There's, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story, and it's a story about people in my life. So I'm not going to use context or names. I'm just going to share an anecdote of something that came up in conversation. There was a conversation around the holidays, around Christmas time, where somebody um, in our life was positing that they would give a child in their life a present and the present was going to be i think somewhere in the 20 to 30 dollar range a good present a hopefully gratefully received present but they were going to put that present in an xbox box so the child was not getting an xbox yeah, they cool. were getting they were getting a much smaller gift this individual with no self-awareness whatsoever thought that would be hilarious how old and is the kid the, the the child that would have been receiving said said gift was gonna I think eleven or twelve maybe ten yeah, or eleven yeah, but yeah, you don't do that. but the person a grown up was going to do that thinking this is a funny sure. prank and so 
when I think about this kind of thing, that, while admittedly cruel, is low stakes in terms of harm. Somebody's going to have their, their moment ruined, and it's unfair, and it's not right. But nobody's going to get, you know, physically hurt by something like that. It's going to be cruel to a degree that maybe they will have an emotional experience of it that might not leave them quickly. But the fact that this existed, not with something I heard on the Internet, but with something I knew, I think is part of why this kind of thing resonates. These children are furious that their mom is gone. And they blame Grace. They don't even blame their dad, which to your earlier point, they maybe should be throwing a lot more of it at his feet for having a questionably ethical relationship with Grace to begin with. But they're not mature enough to recognize sure, those sure. nuance. So the, the, the position... I mean, they, there is some displayed animus towards him. Some, that's some true. No, that is true. towards him. But... Um, but not to the degree that they would perpetuate this cruelty on him. Sure. And so then they see, they witness. And that was, so a couple of things that I did write down that are linked into this conversation. I, I, I wrote down that I said the first time I watched the film, I didn't fully understand why it was showing us them discovering her cult history. But now watching it through this time around, that moment upset me so much. Sure. Um this time around, knowing where it was going to go and knowing that that was the moment that they conceptualized, at least the seeds were planted for them sure, conceptualizing sure. this cruel conceit. Experiencing that, that moment upset me so much. Whereas the first first time I watched it, I was like, well, okay, so... And my attention is more turned towards Grace. Ooh, what does that mean? Does that mean Grace is fragile? Is Grace, you know, going to be our big villain? In much the same way that Goodnight Mommy played with who really is the the victim and the victimizer or the threat, I should say, in this dynamic, that pivoted me to thinking more about grace. Second time through watching it, I see that moment and I'm just mad. I'm just very, very angry because I'm like, they saw that, they saw a weak moment and they saw an opportunity to cast revenge on someone. And it does stretch believability for me, just practical believability that they would have been able to pull off so sure. extensive. They could have turned off the generator. They could have taken down all the decorations. But I mean, they get that they are so thorough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get it's rid intense. of everything. Yeah. And that is and that does stretch believability. But if you accept at least as a as a narrative beat that they are able to successfully make this whole place look like this, um, then then it pivots over. And the moment that things that it clicks with them that they have gone too far is the moment that Grace comes back with with Grady in her arms because right. they found Grady and and they never intended for anybody to actually die. But when the dog who has run out into the freezing cold and has frozen to death, that's when it first dawns on them like we have gone too far. And that's actually when the film reveals that it's all they're doing right, because right. before that, the film tries very hard to like – teeter on that edge of is this real or is this a facade and so again just coming back around I, it does make me angry but there is something that rings so devastatingly true about it in the ways that people can continue to perpetuate things um um there are so many examples of this there are examples of this like 
broadly and there are examples of this personally like petty pranks at work or or petty things at work that you do just to try to get into the boss's good grace or or things in your interpersonal relationships that you do to try to get the upper hand on somebody else like those kind of things infuriate me nathan i was saying very casually to my wife in a completely different context i said i despise teasing and i think where there is not a firm foundation of love in the midst of it i think teasing is one of the cruelest things that somebody can do to another person um, right because sure. when when there's a foundation of mutual love trust respect teasing can in fact be fun you got one over on me or something like that and there, there can be a a, a a degree of healthy gamesmanship to it. But when you don't have that, teasing is so volatile and so dangerous. So I, be- I, I just don't like bullies. I don't care where they come from. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. 90 pounds, Steve Rogers. Yes. And so, um, yeah. So, I'm so sorry. anyway, the, just, uh, the, the, the truth of it in my response to what you're throwing down, I think the truth of it is what keeps me from feeling like it's exploitative the the harsh cruel reality of it i think is part of what keeps me from um uh, like sort of ousting uh, in the, in the same way just for myself i'm not saying you have to feel the same way but but yeah that's for me well i'm i'm i clearly want to be open to um it's funny i didn't use the word but i felt it and then you said it I think something that happened to me, I think a reason I got shoved out is because of an intense anger I was feeling. Mm. And I think why I'm wrestling with this film specifically in a way I might not with other stuff is there's because at its most basic, this is a don't poke the bear story. Right. Mm, it's mm, it's a mm. uh, be careful, be careful fishing for that shark. Right. The problem here is in most of those don't poke the bear, don't fish for the shark stories, the bear or the shark might actually be a bear or a shark, but it's at least something sensational enough that I can distance myself from the empathy I would feel for it. Okay, sure, right. The challenge of the Lodge to nowhere near, nowhere near her experience, the degree to which I've personally experienced religious trauma, trauma born of religious environments, right? the degree to which I watch people manipulate Mm-hmm religious trauma towards their own ends right who are outside of it i i i can't decide what i feel the movie is is quite after and i didn't do a ton of research after the fact and 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 sure and don't hear indictment towards the film here i'm holding this loosely because i'm a little unsure exactly because you know you go fishing for bruce the shark bruce is a giant shark you go twisting grace who is already a broken person just trying to yes just trying to my god put one foot in front of the other like i i don't 
I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I, so, uh, let me tell you what's rising up in my mind as a comparable something that I feel very akin in my emotional well-being. Although the tone of the film is different, the framing of the film is different. It's not a film, a book. Uh, the the framing of the story is very different. But I feel like the character of Grace, the biggest sort of connecting point that I have is Carrie White. And sure. Carrie White, who comes up under religious trauma, tries to exercise some agency, and then the the cruelty that is displayed towards Carrie White at the prom wreaks horrendous devastation. Sure. On, on everybody and and Carrie is not a do you know to your point she's not a shark she's not a, like her, right. her her power is something she does not understand and when it is when her mom who is one of the most psychotically religious minded individuals in all of Stephen King's work when she said they're all going to laugh at you and it turns out her mom was freaking right something snaps and and it breaks and then so she just demolishes the guilty and the innocent together mm-hmm. and and so to me the character of grace in the lodge her her closest cousin if you want to use that language is carrie white yeah and, i think that's a great comp and what makes the lodge that much more challenging though is carrie at its core is that but it's dressed up in the fantastical right, such that I right. can, I can cognitively dissociate a bit from, yes. from it while still engaging the things it's after. Whereas the lodge is very much naturalistic mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you can, you could say you could make an attempt to try to convince me that the sensationalism of her religious background being what it is, you know, we're, were many of us in a death cult? No. But you, me, many of the people who listen to what we do, none of that stuff was foreign. Right. Like, That's absolutely right. Yes. Yes. The ideas, the language, the verbiage, the attitude, the sentiment, the mm-hmm. the uh, in out kind of we didn't take them. We generally speaking, weren't party to to the places that took them to the conclusions they went to. Right. But it's, of course it's a very same tune. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, there was just an extra level of sensitivity that I wasn't ready for. Sure. And, and dude, like I can be weirded out all day long and think what a bunch of kooks with this is stuff that I don't even know. We've really brought up on the show before because of how topical it has been. Like, this movie is about a religious cult. Um, you know, I look at something like QAnon stuff. Right. And I'm like, this is QAnon. It's ultimate manifestation, uh, being enmeshed in things like what happened on January 6th. This is what happens when you take the things people are fanatical about. You lace it with self-righteousness. Yes. You, you lace it with, twisted and perverted Jesus that is not. And then you direct it Mm -hmm. and destruction follows. And then you try to wash your hands of it. And we all sit around the table waiting to be murdered. 
I mean, mm. damn, mm. like I can't get away. And I have wrestled so much watching the religious energy. I'm, I, I want to keep this tethered to the film. So I'm, I know I'm blowing this up real massive, but I'm trying to keep it grounded to the religious energy in this country of like, we just released the leftover complete conversations and I can't get over Lori and Tommy. Why are we losing? Cause they're giving them something. Yeah, they're putting why? something in its place and how, <laughs> how heartbreaking read it is that Jesus doesn't promise us the world. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And how hell spawned it is when people in the name of Jesus make that offer to you yes, and then lead you down a path of destruction. Mm -hmm. And then you have a character like grace. You have people. I don't know if you've read many of these types of stories. The book I read last year, antisocial was peppered with them. I've seen a few of them in pieces like the Atlantic and whatnot. People who in our current life, not people physically we know but in this current age who snap out of that and are like oh my god right. what was i party to absolutely and yeah. and and some of them come clean and 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 move forward in some version of wholeness though limping then you have the graces yes yes who are wounded mm -hmm. in deep and demonstrable and devastating fashion and you made a very important distinction with, and I, I caught it. You, you were not trying to relegate the capacity from this manipulation to just children. It's, it's a maturity thing. It's a wisdom thing. It's a, right. it's yes. a lack of foresight thing. It is, it is an inability to grapple with ramifications of things you think are light mm -hmm. uh, that are in fact quite dark, malevolent and wicked that you're directing certain in a certain direction. I don't know. I don't know what I'm I trying to say other than just this, this, the, the reason I'm struggling with the movie is I can't tell what the movie thinks of grace. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Yes, I get it. And, and far be it for me to speak for the directors, but I can tell you my experience of it. I think the movie pities grace tremendously. I think it pities her substantially. And I feel like the children are 100% the villain and to a, a, a rough end, the strong implication, almost just shy of showing us their execution implication that she is going to murder these children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that, and I don't know if you, you probably wouldn't have noticed this in the opening montage well before Alicia Silverstone takes her own life. In the opening montage where it's just showing us like scenes in the dollhouse and everything. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. it flashes to that gun on the table. Yeah. And yeah. and then that comes back and that's the final shot of the film. It's just going back to that yeah, gun on the table. Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Yep. And um, so to me, it's one of those things where I think the film feels about Grace that she is ultimately the victim here. And that what they did not realize, because I'm, I'm bringing a lot of supposition to the film. Sure. But I, I mean, but I feel like what they want is for her to leave. I feel like they that's what they want. 
they want her to leave. And I think in their in their twisted and and, and unwise perspective, they think perpetuating this grand thing will cause her. And I think the other thing they want, I think they ultimately want her to leave, but I think they also want her to, in, in their language, they want her to confess to driving their mom to kill herself and to destroying their family because there's so much language in what they as they're perpetrating the lie, mm-hmm. where they say, you have to repent, you have to repent, you have to admit what you've done. And that's where Grace pivots when she's doing that really uncomfortable and hard to sit through regression of her um, self-flagellation techniques, which she doesn't mm-hmm. have a whip, but like, mm-hmm. you know, where she kneels on the hot hot log and, and uh, you know, uh, s- skirts around on her knees in the ice and things. Uh, so when she's punishing herself for that, she keeps saying, uh, I repent for, for the harm I've brought this family, for the harm I've brought this family. And she keeps saying that. That's why she ultimately uh, shoots the dad. Uh, it, it goes off in a way where you can't quite tell uh, if she intended to do that or if it, it seems to me she's very much lost in sure. the yeah. facade at that point. Doesn't quite realize what she's doing. But what she's saying is we need to repent of what we've done. We need to repent of what we've done. And that's what, to a degree, the kids wanted. They wanted her to admit that they, and again, I'm bringing a lot of supposition, but this is my reading of the film. They wanted her to admit, because the the young daughter, when she comes up and they're s- trying desperately to snap Grace back into logical, reasonable sense, the little girl says, we did it for mommy. So whatever that means, and that's all she says is we did it for mommy, whatever that means to that little girl, if that means revenge, if that means admission, if that means exit, whatever that means, that's their, that appears to be their end game, is they wanted to get some of that response. They are too immature to realize, okay, so you brought up the, you brought up the QAnon stuff um, and, and the January 6th thing, which of course, for listeners who hear this four years from now, we're talking about the uh, surrounding the time of the election. Uh, a, a group of individuals who were uh, parading uh, Trump banners uh, broke into the Capitol building. and The day so, of certification of the election of 2020. Yeah, the day of certification that would have uh, been sort of the final step that says that, that Joe Biden would have won the election and not Donald Trump. Uh, they broke into the Capitol building. Uh, uh, some lives were lost in uh, a devastating display of uh, of some some pretty hard to stomach violence and a hard to stomach concept. Somebody asked me at one point in this whole conversation about like, oh, was it incited? Was it whatever? My position, not thinking about the lodge, but it's it's coming up because we're talking about the lodge. My position from my personal perspective has always been, I don't know if anybody thought that was going to happen. I honestly don't know. I don't know if anybody thought they're going to break into the Capitol and there's going to be violence. I think there might have been some vision of like pressure that was applied that would create a different outcome or maybe some sort of um, uh, solidarity stance that would make people doubt or that would lay a field for something else. I genuinely think, and maybe I'm being naive, I genuinely don't think by how it was unilaterally decried, I don't think anybody thought this is going to happen. And so when I think pivoting back into the lodge and out of that political social moment, Pivoting back into the lodge, I don't think the kids thought this is going to happen. This is where Grace is going to go because they didn't understand what they were dealing with. 
Well, sure, sure. But it's really funny. Uh, five minutes ago, seven minutes ago, when you were unpacking your take on the kids, I, the, the thought that came to me was you're being too generous towards them. And, mm, mm. and then you just said what you said about, you know, uh, manipulation of, of a group towards a, a violent end. And, and you said, I don't know if anyone foresaw, sure. There's a degree to which we could all argue, you know, the, the ultimate materializing of, a particular end is hard to forecast, but sure, right. you stir the pot hard enough, you're going to get, you know, a, it's gonna a, a reaction. Right. And right. I, I, I don't think the kids, you said something about, uh, the kids and them wanting her to leave. I don't think they wanted her to leave. I, I oh, don't. really? I, I, I mean, there's a world where you can make a great case and Jaden Martell, he's, he's great at duplicity <laughs> as an actor. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is. Uh, uh, and there's a world where you could make a case that maybe he was, you know, feeding the, the, the illusion here, but he seems genuinely unnerved at her prospect of departing. Remember when, uh, she's packing her things up, she's That's out on the walk point. and he's like, you, you can't do that. Like, I do think, I don't think they were intending Quit. I think they're intending her to, um, yes. What you quick pause when I say, (laughs) when I say leave, I don't mean leave the lodge. I mean, leave the relationship. Oh, I don't know if that changes where you're going. Yeah. But I also think that is less a goal that that is an ultimate desire. I think the exercise they, uh, uh, endeavor into is to cause her pain that they Mm -hmm. feel. Yeah, yeah um, I understand. I understand. And so agree let, with that take. I, I I do. Yeah. Let's let's do a little exercise on the mechanics of the film here that is intriguing to me and I just want to see what your thoughts are. Sure. Um uh <laughs> I just love how we're like and 10,000 foot view QAnon and the problems of America <laughs> and I'll way back down to that scene in that one movie. Yeah, um, of course. This is why <laughs> This is why we do what we do. Welcome to 2021. Um, uh, so what I, I don't, I'm not asking this with an answer in my head. I'm genuinely curious for us to, however long we want to, and maybe not long at all. What is the, because as a defense of you suggesting the film is generous in its view of grace, it is very intentional that she is withheld from the film as long as she is. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm trying to suss out what that obscuring does in a specific, you know, like what, what are they doing there? What is, what is the intention of, I mean, and, and I'm all I'm asking is just, you know, spitball hypotheses. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, as you sort of assess, knowing what having seen the movie twice now like it is clear they're withholding they obscure yes. her visual the when few she's times outside the she, door mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. uh when she's approaching the car it yep. is very clearly meant to be obscured she gets in unfacing them yes. you know it is it is it is it is clearly intentional that they withhold that and so i'm just kind of like pondering because if 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 yeah and any sort of initial thoughts on what? Yeah, yeah. What might be going my, on there? 
my take, my answer would be, it is to make her feel as strange to us as she probably does to the kids. And to make us recognize that we have no idea what we're... I don't know if you had this experience, but I thought, the first time viewing it, obviously second time I knew much more, but first time viewing it, I thought Grace was going to snap and it was going to be much more rooted in Grace being sort of a, 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 a damaging problem on its, on its own merit. Sure. I, I, didn't, I didn't trust her. From from this whole time that I'm seeing it, I'm not on board with Grace. I don't trust her. I think I think there's a a disconnect. I hear that she survived out of this death cult. I I'm not in the camp where I'm like I have a couple of moments of pity for her when she goes into the ice the first time. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's that's a little harrowing, um, and and a couple of things like that. But honestly, even as the kids are like doing stuff to her at first, like when he like watches her in the shower and everything. And then, uh, you know, he, she confronts him about it afterwards through the first time viewing the film. I'm still not like, Oh man, they're really being mean to grace. I'm kind of more like oh, grace. Grace might be bad news. Grace might be bad news. And it is not until she finds Grady. And I realize that the kids have done it, that I flip the script on this to be like, Oh my God, this they they didn't realize what they were dealing with. So I don't know sure. if the film is trying to make me feel the same way about Grace in a comparable sort of surrogate way to the kids might be feeling about Grace. I think um, this is fun. I think there's I think there's no question the intention of her being a fly in the ointment is real and a a, a strange aspect introducing the story but and this is unfair because i had the benefit of listening to you talk that through while i'm thinking through what you're saying and trying to you know suss out what we've been saying about the movie if if the movie is intending generosity towards grace yes it's playing with conventions Mm -hmm. to unsettle you but let's scratch past that. This is purely conjecture and and, and just kind of came to me like withholding her as long as they do and for her entry to be so uneventful. Yeah. Feels in a way now this is me talking through my feelings on the lodge and, and sort of I, I don't know that I'm going to get to this conversation and be like I love the lodge. It's no, a bit sure. too messy for that. But there's a world in which it feels like the movie is saying the problem is not her. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. The problem with that. predates, pre-exists, exists and lives in this car. Mm-hmm. And in, in these dynamics. And so I'm with you. It's meant to on its most surface level be suggestive and provocative and spark intrigue and mystique in her and oh she's got pills what's grace hiding whereas right right if we take the premise that the film is on grace's side withholding her that long well it's just an interesting choice it's a very interesting choice to me that that merits this conversation and i want to be a little bit more deliberate i don't think the film's on grace's side i might have said something what i what i think i said earlier is that it pities her and and i don't know that that means it's on board with her. 
I think it again. I think it pities her. Let's follow in your same in the in the spirit of the really great question you just asked me. Let's follow the trail. Who's the first person we see? It's Alicia Silverstone. Sure. And for any kid who's watched Clueless or you know any number of things that she's been in with that whole '80s sensibility, uh, not at not every Robin. <laughs> not every, wow. Uh, not everybody is going to have this same connection with her, but you like her. It's Alicia Silverstone. Right. Oh my gosh, we like her. This is great. She's crying. Oh my god. She's so sad. Something's something's wrong. Alicia Silverstone is probably going to go through a hard time right now. Oh, bam. man. That sucks. And then, bam, she's gone. She's gone in ways that are shocking and disturbing and upsetting. And then what we have is now this, this stranger is going to come into the picture, this character that we, that we haven't seen sure. for 20 minutes of the film, and... This character that we now find out is a survivor of a freaking death cult? What? Right. This is bad news. This is really bad news. And then all of these other things begin to crop up. And look at the ways that the film shows us when Grace and the dad are uh, being intimate, but it's a in you know confined space lodge. Sure. And so they can hear, the kids can hear that the That reminded me of uh, the, the sounds we heard 20 yeah, years ago from our apartment one Saturday right. morning. Want to thank you for bringing the that neighboring up apartment. Like it's a, yeah, no, I wrote that in my notes. I thought about it during <laughs> that scene. So <laughs> I was it's like, like, when those two kids stared at each other across the beds, I was like, "That's me and Reed." Yeah, twenty years ago, that was, that was us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, it, it. I think it's continually showing us their perspective, which is part of why, when it's ultimately revealed, like, "Oh crap!" With they're behind, they're behind this. Then what we see from them is a lot of fear. Not of the sense, not of the sense explicitly of like, oh man, grace is bad, but very much a what have, what have we done? Like, oh my God, this is, this is now too far away from us. And, and then like my experience when I was watching first and second time, her come down the stairs with the gun as the dad's Mm -hmm. trying desperately to get her to like, my eye is also on the kids in the corner because they're watching all this. Dad has no context for what's happening. And I was sitting there thinking, like, oh, my God, dad is going to have no idea how responsible for this the kids are. And the kids aren't speaking up about it. And now suddenly dad's gone and they can't leave. And and so they're just they're sitting there stuck. You know, what's interesting. It stuck out to me this time that the um, in the shot, one of the final shots of the film looking at the kids sitting at the dinner table behind them, there's that picture, mm-hmm. the religious picture that has been uh, featured everywhere i don't know if it is specifically of mary or if it's of another religious icon i think it's meant to evoke mary but um but that picture back there the picture is there but i don't know if you notice that the frame is broken the frame is skewed so the so the picture is intact it's Mm -hmm. not ripped or torn or anything but the frame is just off the frame is to a degree that you know it it can't be hung anymore. Like it's just it, it's a broken sure. frame, and it put me in mind very much. I was going to bring this up in some ver- some version of thematic conversation, uh, where it's just like yeah, the 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 picture on paper might be perfectly fine, but there's there's nothing to hang it on anymore because that frame's been shattered. The frame's been broken, and to me. I don't necessarily think that the film is on board with anybody here. I don't think I don't think the film roots and maybe that's part of why it's a difficult film to kind of stomach is because I don't think the film is rooting for anybody. I think the film is maybe rooting in its hour and 30 minutes to go back 45 minutes earlier and not do all of this. 
you know, like not perpetrate this prank, not perpetrate this lie. And I think that's the feeling from my perspective and my reading on the film that we are supposed to be left with is, oh, my God, if we could go back and not do this, but we can't go back and not do this anymore. There is no it, it is a little hellish. It is a little bit abandon sure, all hope sure, ye who sure. enter here, you know, like it, it is a little bit of that nature. But that is, again, what I think is part of the point of the film is is saying like, yeah, this was the time. The point of no return on this was way back there. And sure. it is it is a distant memory. Now, you are not going to be able to rehang that now. You are not going to be able to rescue this now. Dad's gone. Mom's gone. Like, they don't even resist at this point. They don't even right, resist. Right. Because, and and I I feel like we're drifting a little bit from the other side of the conversation that you brought up about the the uh, religious language repetition and and the way in which something that I've been really challenged by a lot is the, you know, we've referenced it a couple of times already. This is a statistical reality that... Uh, conspiracy theories by and large can tend to be believed by people who profess devout religious thought. That does not mean that religious thinkers are automatically fodder for a mountain of conspiracy theory. There's just a, a, an alarming degree of overlap where the, the people who uh, embrace these things and consume these things. And one of the things that I've been really challenged by in my own life and in my relationships and my conversations with people is the way in which you have to have a maturity to the way you process, a maturity to the way that you digest, a maturity to and a discernment to the way that you take in inputs around you and more so in the language of the lodge to the stories you tell the people around you and the ways you tell it because they know from moment one, they know this is a lie from moment zero and negative one. Like they're planning it. They know this is a lie, but this is the story they're telling grace. And they've told grace this story too many times to where now she believes it. And unfortunately the ramifications of her believing it are far too devastating. And there's a psychological reality that I don't think most of us would admit. I had something happen to me when I was in fourth grade. Fourth Whoa. grade. Fourth grade. Going to go way back. When I was in fourth grade, I was caught in a lie. And it was a lie that was rooted in, without going into too many details of the story, I was afraid a bully was going to beat me up. And so I lied so that he would be I caught. I didn't know read back then. You also did. Was no, no, no. Me. This is no, no, no. no. Much, I, fourth grade. We, we, sure. we weren't ever in the same school. Um, the same state. <laughs> I, I thought the bully was gonna gonna beat me up, and so I lied about the bully to the teacher to get them in trouble and ostensibly stop them from hurting me. I was caught in the lie, and Nathan, I doubled down, and I completely I stood there for probably thirty to forty minutes staring in the face of the person that I lied about them and and telling them on display for the teachers watching, saying that they had done something that they had not done. And I looked at them and told them. What's, what's wrong with you? Right? right, right. I was a child. I was a child who was unaware of the harm. I'm aware now. And that's why, God save us all, I moved on and matured from that perspective 
But I was a child who was first scared he was going to get his butt beat and get really hurt. Secondarily, scared of the ramifications of being caught in a lie that I had done to try to protect myself. And then what the psychological reality that I'm displaying here is that some people never move past that moment where they are just going to continue to perpetuate the lie because they're too scared of what unraveling it might mean because they can't face the truth and they can't face themselves and they can't face the ramifications of what they've done. And we don't want to admit that human beings are capable of just that very thing. And then when it gets too far away from you, it is so much rather than face the credibility damage rather than stopping and saying it's it's why for some individuals affairs go on for years and 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 lies are continually perpetuated in their personal lives and things like that is because there comes a point to where until you're like caught in the lie sure you just you just stubbornly will not let it go right you won't con- you won't confess and speak the truth you won't you won't open up the door because there is this this deeply rooted thing that says, well, as long as it's my secret, then it's not going to hurt anybody. I'll keep I'll keep it from hurting anybody. When in point of fact, it does irreparable damage to relationships, and sometimes God help us to lives, sure. irreparable damage. And again, I keep coming back to it. I probably said it six or seven times already in this moment or in this conversation that I do think the lodge has some cruel characters, and I think. It's not unfair to say that the lodge has some cruelty baked into its to its premise. I think the scary thing is it does not ring to me as untrue, and it does not ring sure. to me as as yeah. false. And I think that's where some of the power for myself is in recognizing, you know, for those who like the kids would try to scheme over on somebody in either personal ways or we're, we're avoiding diving right into it, but we've referenced things already scheme over things on national levels with national level repercussions of things and, and thinking, Oh, well, this is, this is not going to do the harm that it's going to do. Yes. Like the lies, they do irreparable harm, irreparable harm. They shackle people. Like when the scriptures tell us that we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free, the reverse implication is that lies imprison us. They shackle us and and they they capture and cage us in ways that we will not be able to unlock for ourselves except by the truth, except by the the and and the harsh reality of horror films that that we sometimes explore is God, please speak the truth before it's too late to speak the truth. Speak the truth before it's too late for it to do the freeing, liberating good that you want it to do. Like that's that's the hard part is the hard part is if if you are continuing to perpetuate the lie, like you've got to at some point, you've got to stop. You've got to you've got to face the music. You've got to turn around. You've got to you've got to speak the truth before it does damage that you will not be able to undo and that you will not be able to escape from again. That's. That's my take on it. That's what the, that's what the film uh, resounds in me. That's not by any means prescriptive that it's even automatically what it means or how everybody has to feel about it. But that's what the film speaks in my mind and, mag- and imagination when I think about it and when I watch it. Welcome to 2021, everybody. Mm. 
there's there's there is good healthy beautiful right holy expressions of a faithful religious life that exists absolutely yeah i there's so many ways i look at what we've called what have we called it what are the words we've used we've we've used sin we've used salvation we've used apostate we've used backslider we've used inerrancy we've used what abomination comes to mind we've used that we've used reprobate i remember the first time read it's so weird to look back on 25 years of religiously infused life, meaning having been involved in the church and, and, and I was involved in it much younger than that too, but right, to be right. conscious that long and to still have been, have encountered moments where I'm like, I'm not like this. And that that's not a judgmental statement. It's simply a, one of these awareness things that happen to you along the way where you're like, right. what the hell is wrong with you? Like I remember in college, not at our college, but just at that era of my life and, and some of the online kind of worlds I would sort of traffic in that were on their face, reasonably healthy. But I remember being, seeing people referred to as reprobate, like humans. And even then having a, having not what I would say is now a more robust Christology, if you will, thinking, what is, what are you doing? Why, Mm. why on earth? Is that okay? Right, right. And and so much of I I don't I don't know how or what this looks like for me, but wanting so desperately and 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 in my darkest not darkest as in um in my most secret places not dark as in malevolent in my right. most secret self the the sense in which I will happily abandon all former titles, labels, names associated with because it's what I was involved in. I'll say it, the American church in honor and in favor of calling people away from that into better, beautiful, right. And holy, You know, because like I said, we can, we can look at what Grace went through as a young person and be like, oh my God, like what a, no, thank you. And yet it's, it's, it's only a few dial turns. Yeah, of course. From where a lot of, you know, it's, it's the, it's the physical conclusion Mm -hmm. to the philosophical we we already kind of live in and stir up and propagate. Right, right. It's why you can be like, "Wow, who saw one six coming?" Well, you're stupid. If yeah, that that's too dismissive. You are irresponsibly unaware, naive, and right. immature mm-hmm. to not think. Stoking specifically religious fires of this nature 
is not going to result in destruction and catastrophe. I said, Nathan, I said it to you by text message. You're not the only person I said it to, but as is often the you case. You could have you, left it with just me, okay? It makes me feel yeah, special, don't you? <laughs> well, you or my wife are usually the first person I ever <laughs> say anything to. Um, decent company. So, um, but I said when there were tons of like prophecies coming out about um, like Trump's second term and then after sure. the election yeah. was called for yeah. Biden and then, then there was a lot of people doubling down on those prophecies. And I remember I said to you, I said, if he were to choose to do so, and this, of course, was not directly predicting what happened on January 6th, but I, I remember specifically saying if he were to do something radically uh, violent or invasive or unconstitutional, there would be a whole bunch of people who would believe he was spiritually mandated to do so. And, and that was long before that was in November. That was in November when I was hearing these things and seeing this, you know, a a month and change later. And then we get what we got. There's a couple of things that I wanted to say. The first is I remember a story and I, I will, I will protect the people that I love by not sharing exactly their relation to me. But I remember that there was, a friend of mine at one point who uh, was a gay man and uh, some other people who were close to me were coming by for a visit. And this uh, other friend of mine who uh, I was in conversation with and, and was uh, an openly gay man. And I remember when they heard that these other people in my life were coming by for a visit, um, uh, they, this friend of mine rolled his eyes and, and was very much like, Oh, and my immediate naive reaction was, Oh no, no, they, they really like you. And he then turned to me without missing a beat. Nathan then turned to me and said, Oh, I'm an abomination to them, but I'm glad they like me. And it rattled me, rattled me. Um, very, very much influenced much of my thought on this same subject for where I stand right now and for how I engage the conversation and how I think about things. Um, the other the other thing that I will say is uh, the oft-quoted line that I have from The Exorcist, which talks about uh, when the young priest is asking the older priest why this attack, this demonic attack is coming against this girl, and the older priest's answer to him that I will posit as well as uh, something that I think all of these kinds of attacks, be they human perpetrated, spiritually perpetrated, whatever, all of these attacks, the old priest says of the attack against the young girl, he said, I think it is to make us despair, to make us see ourselves as animal and ugly, and to make us reject the possibility that God could love us. And I think there's so much wisdom in that line that, it uh, lays uh, uh, close to, if not at, the foundation of my thought about this process. And I think that any such attacks, uh, a st- the statement of a friend of mine who would say, oh, I'm an abomination to them, but I'm glad they like me, a statement like that, I, th- I would respond the same way the old priest responded in The Exorcist. That is a lie meant to make you despair make you see yourself as animal and ugly and reject the possibility that God could love you. And I would say the same is true for anyone who has ingrained into their heart and mind because of any degree of religious fervor. You know what? I would, uh, you know what? New year, new, whatever. 
there was a moment in time where I had put something out into the world on uh, a video that I had shared on social media, and I had a, a person who I don't know, but uh, I don't know uh, personally. They were friends of a friend, as it were. It sounds right. <laughs> right. And uh, they said back, they said, well, just make sure that you're not showing an enabling kind of love. And I, I, I got I got right mad, Nathan, right mad, because I remember feeling this insidious kind of like, what, what? I, I, can, I can put too much affection, care. I'm not the most affectionate person in the world, I'm not the most loving person in the world, I'm sure as hell not the wisest person in the world, but are you telling me that I can put so much affirmation of the love of God for his creation out into the world that somebody like it enables them to that degree. Like if I'm talking about the unbridled, unmitigated love of God for his people, I'm putting that out there and you're scared. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch that too far. I don't sit there anymore for myself. I don't sit there anymore. I am not afraid to too much, perpetuate not afraid the love anymore. Of, <laughs> to too much perpetuate the love of God for his people anymore, because I am so sick to death of the the other side of that coin saying oh well you know i'm an abomination to them but i'm glad they like me right. i'm i'm sick of that i'm sick of that and i don't for for my world for my little influence in the world and i know we're we're winding down we're we're close to wrapping up this conversation um but for my little like pocket in the world i am so sick to death of perpetuating the lie that would cause people to reject the possibility that god could love them I'm sick to death of perpetuating that lie, and I'm sick to death of perpetuating and participating in the lies that um, would say that we don't have a responsibility to care for one another, that we don't have a responsibility to show kindness to one another, that we don't have a responsibility. And I, I know, I get it. I'm not a hippie. I'm not of the <laughs> of the mindset that that would say like, oh man. Just, I didn't say you were. I know, no, I know. Um, of just like, oh man, free love, man. Like, I'm not of that cloth. Of course, you need discipline. Of course, you need wisdom. Of course, we we started off this conversation talking about the damage that immature perspectives can wrought in the world. I know that you need wisdom and that you need challenge and that you need to to fight for things that are that are of the nature of uh, of pushback against that kind of thing, but. I want to err on the side if I'm going to err at all. And God, we all will. But if I'm going to err at all, I want to stand before God at some day and say, I erred on the side of letting people know that you loved them and wanted what was good and best for them. And I want to display that and I want to exhibit that and I want to propagate that into the world. And I am willing to sit in the complex tension that says that uh, that that's that that's where we need to be because I feel like the difficulty that we have is that too many times we are trying so hard for all of the images in this film about dolls house and dolls mm. putting around and 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 dolls and manipulation and control that's what a dollhouse is you're, you're pretending you're fashioning this thing up right. and it's it's an old analogy an old metaphor but all of that imagery there tells me that very much on this film's mind is the idea of control and manipulation to destructive ends and yeah they and and yes and i think what i was trying to allude to earlier of the forms and titles and 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 vernacular of a former life perhaps it was all engineered around establishing an other as the only thing of worth and you as of utter unworth. 
Right. And right. to your point, the dollhouse, it's control. It is. Yes. I mean, my God, the, 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 the literal hell wrought in this world in the name of Jesus that is really just control. That is really just manipulation. That is really just protecting abusers. Uh, abusers, and, yes. And I mean, I don't want to be too too coy here, but I I think there's a world where I do think the movie is pretty on Grace's side. It just positions everyone yeah. else as against her. Yeah, right. And the dad abandons her. Yes. The, the kids yeah. abuse her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, nature itself is attempting to take her out. Right. Anyway. Um, man. Yeah. So welcome to Fear of God 2021, everybody. We, uh, 2020, 2020, 2.0. 2020, 2020, 2.0. Yeah. Um, yeah. But literal, <laughs> literal one. So listen, um, We've said a lot. There've been a lot of things that, uh, you know, a lot more that probably could be said. But, but in the interests of time and respect for each other's mental bandwidth and everything, that I think uh, you want to you want to go to the fog meter and and kind of wind this do it. particular thing if down. Somehow okay. you're new here. The fog meter is our very uh, patent pending metric, trademarked metric uh, of how we rank films here at the Fear of God. Uh, specifically on fear, how scary a thing was, and God, how substantive a thing was. Um, I'll lead on fear. I, I've got really weird feelings and mixed feelings about what I think about this movie. It is, it is eminently well crafted. Um, I think it was, I think it's less scary it's it's atmospheric for sure right there are a couple of really great i mean i i really hate that we didn't you know just sort of go through our scares but it's fine because the conversation was worth it but there are some really great kind of jump scares and just general kind of horror horror movie imagery and and work being done in it right but i don't but i think my weirdness about how i feel about the movie obscures my ability to be scared by the movie if that makes any sense whatsoever oh it does um so i think i'm gonna land it i'm gonna land at a six okay yep heard um i think for myself the disturbing elements of the film and again it's it's unbridled resonance and 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 truthfulness uh despite its its extremity um it's terrifying the repercussions of these kinds of things uh whether they be in personal microcosmic ways or as we've talked about at length uh broader and and perhaps more far-reaching ramifications uh terrifying and disturbing and upsetting so for me it's a nine nice and what about Uh, you for the god factor so for the god factor uh, talk thinking about the substance and we you know we kind of have this measurement in a way that changes depending on the kind of conversation we're having but in terms of just for me i'm defining it in this moment as you know the amount of things that it has on its mind the way it has it on its mind i do think it's a bit 
uh, streamlined to a degree that that maybe could have a little bit more complexity, could be a little bit clearer whose side it's on and how they feel about those different things. Uh, but I still think it has a lot of profound things on its mind. It definitely resonates a lot of things with me. I'm going to give it an eight on the God uh, factor. What about for yourself? Yeah, in some ways I'm interested in uh, often my intention when we do these films is I'll watch it to, to generate my own sort of feelings and response. Right. If I'm super passionate about it, I'll go read more and like consume interviews and stuff like that. But in this particular instance, it was more, okay, let me just refine ideas and conversation with you. Sure. So yeah. there's a world where I'm going with this. There's a world where I go find some interviews and a whole panorama is opened up of like, Oh mm. wow. Okay. This is some really interesting stuff. Um, so I am giving credit here like you. Um, I am going to land at an eight to undercut my blathering. Um, because I can perceive there is tectonic plates shifting just below the surface. It's hard to quite reconcile exactly what image is taking shape, but, but there's sure. something there. Sure. No, I understand. And that means that we give the Lodge, uh, I don't think we've ever actually even said their names, but uh, the Lodge directed by Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, uh, we give it an 8 out of 10 on the fog meter, which is a pretty uh, pretty high rating for our fog uh, measurement. Um, and uh, the harder question before we say our goodbyes is, do you recommend the Lodge? I don't know that I do. Which okay. which feels yeah. like it invokes a negativity, but that's not where it's rooted. It's yeah. more just in a, you know, for, as we occasionally do, for our kind of people, it is worth mm -hmm. the wrestle. I agree. It's yeah. not, mm -hmm. there's nothing easy about it. No. Uh, I, at all. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I give a qualified recommendation that it is not for fragile mindsets or fragile heart sets. Uh, like it, it should not be ignored that it opens with a suicide and uh, that, that that notion uh, is very in the, the bake baking mm -hmm. of the narrative. Um, and so I, I cannot in good conscience recommend it to people who are of a, a fragile or sort of wrestling with depression, wrestling with things like that. I don't think they should see the film. For our general listenership, people who who do appreciate that kind of wrestling down, it's a very strong, very affecting, very powerful film uh, that I think is exceptionally well made and to that end is recommendable. But it is heavy and it is hard. Um, and so, so you know, by all means, that's, take that for what it will in terms of whether or not you should see it. Um, and so uh, that puts this first installment of... 2020 2022.0 or the first of 2021 if you will uh, in the books so um, welcome back so, friend yeah welcome back to you as well so we're going to catch you next week ladies and gentlemen uh, as we mentioned earlier in the episode we're going to be going to a film called The Vast of Night very different from The Lodge very different uh, unique interesting fascinating and, and, and kind of exciting film it is an Amazon Prime exclusive what I mean by that is you have to be an Amazon Prime member, unlike other things where you have to, like, you can rent it or whatever. Like, you have to have Amazon Prime to watch this film. So, Amazon Prime exclusive, but The Vast of Night, check that out if you can. Uh, so, when you say it's an Amazon Prime exclusive, is what you mean that it is, you might say, exclusively on Amazon Prime? <laughs> it's 
it is exclusively on Amazon Prime. That is exactly right. <laughs> okay. um, I got it. So, <laughs> so, uh, so check that out for next week. We will be here. Nathan, thank you very much for yes. helping me wrestle down the lodge. I really appreciate it. Uh, and listeners, thank you as always for listening. As we say on every episode, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll catch you Amen. next week, everybody. See you guys. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.